Welcome to episode number eight of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for August 9th, 2016. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, doing fine. Um, I had a little bit of a throat sort of thing that I was dealing with for the past couple of days, but uh, I think I got over whatever it was. I don't know. I think it was allergy related. I thought, uh, I thought you were going to say, I had a little bit too much to drink last night. I'm really hungover. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink. I don't do that. My dad is an obnoxious drunk, and I think, you know, since a lot of that runs in the family, in terms of what kind of drunk you'll be, uh, I, I don't want to do that. And the last time I had any a few beers, it was with my dad, and we were watching Fast and Furious, the fourth Fast and Furious movie, which is a piece of shit, by the way. And we, I had, so we had some Bud Light Lime, and I had a couple bottles of that, and all it did was make me tired and made me want to pee a lot. That's all I remember. <laughs> the, the alcohol just made me tired and made me want to pee. Great. <laughs> I could see you getting. I could see you like getting a few drinks in you, and like if if people think that you're you get angry now when you do your movie reviews, uh, God, if you added alcohol to the equation, Ghostbusters 2016 was a piece of fucking shit. <laughs> That would be funny. Yeah, um, I'm, I, I think I'm more of a silly because I got a bit buzzed and then I started doing an impression of uh, Stallone singing country music from that movie he did with Dolly Parton called Rhinestone. Oh, my God. So that's where, where he just I, I, I at this uh, Toby Keith's Bar and Grill in Oklahoma City. And so I, this is how it goes. He's like. But wiser you created a monster is name. Is Drinkenstein. Drinkenstein! Drinkenstein! That's really what he sounds like. Oh my god. That Wait movie. a second. There's a Toby Keith's restaurant in. O yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> like the country singer Toby Keith? Yeah. 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 Oh man. All, all I. Every time I think about Toby Keith, because uh, he's got that oh, stupid. Yeah, well, he's got that, but then he's got that song Honky Tonk Badonkadonk, where he's like, Hooey, shut your mouth, slap your grandma. He, like, says slap your grandma. And then he'll go and do the, he'll go on TV and do those, like, uh, like, uh, Wounded Warrior Project commercials, and he's, like, being yeah. real serious. And every time I'm looking at him, all I can think is, slap your grandma, slap your grandma. <laughs> uh. Oh, Jesus. Or maybe it's, tr no, it's Trace Atkins that does Honky Tonk Badonka Donk. Sorry, Trace Atkins is the one on the commercial, not Toby <laughs> Keith. Whatever, all that shitty country music is the same to me. I don't, I don't give two shits about that music. I hate it so much. And of course, being in the South, I am inundated with it. Everybody wants to hear country. Okay, so welcome to, again, Unsolved Mysteries Podcast. Uncovering Unsolved Mysteries Podcast. We had a little power failure there. Sorry about that. Um, let's dive into the segments here. We're starting first with the St. James Hotel Haunting. That's one that Mike handpicked. So. It's not on the ghost's dvd nope as far as i'm as far as i know it is not even on the bonus disc um i remember i don't remember this person's name i apologize but i think with somebody on my youtube channel they actually referenced this i believe this uh, particular segment uh the saint james hotel so i thought it would be a 
prime candidate to do a, uh, a discussion about. Also, uh, I thought it was actually pretty, definitely pretty creepy ghost segment. I mean, you got everything you want out of the typical type of haunting segment on this show, um, and more with a creepy ghost boy. So, yeah. So it happened at the Cimarron Hotel. Now this is an old ass hotel. This is one of those hotels that has just been around since the Wild West. Um, you know, hotels typically have a lot of kind of energy in them from all the various people who stay there and you know some emotions run high at hotels sometimes with some of the guests and whatnot so this is no exception especially considering that this hotel back in the olden days had such notorious people as jesse james doc holiday wyatt earp annie oakley all these people had been known to stay at this hotel and and in the segment when they flash back to the uh, Wild West times, and they've done this before on Unsolved Mysteries. They always play like that old Susanna song. It's like, but I don't, 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 but don't, 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 don't. It's like played with that old timey piano. Like I always thought that's so fucking funny, you know, because it stands in like stark contrast to the rest of the music on Unsolved Mysteries, which is scary as shit even to this day. But like every now and yeah. then they'll have some lighthearted little. Well, the stuff that they do for Treasures too is is kind of lighthearted as well. It's just kind of it sounds Native American. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, the St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico. Oh, right. Okay, my bad. I guess I was uh, I understood that wrong when I was watching it. Um, so yeah, th- that's it's glory days faded, obviously after the uh, Wild West times. And hotels, much like any other building, it'll fall into disrepair if you don't uh, take care of it. And that's what happened in this one uh, until. 1985 when ed sitzberger and his wife pat purchased the saint james hotel uh they soon discovered that the hotel of course had a life of its own um also they went in, they went around to see how many leaks were in the hotel uh that's what their whole uh they first went there to see if there was you know water leaks or any kind of other damage they were checking the hotel out with flashlights see how many leaks it had um then they turned off the chandelier and uh, as they're walking out of the hotel, for some reason, they one of them felt compelled to turn back around and look at the hotel, which is a theme. Uh, there's some other ghost segments where that happens. I believe the uh, Gettysburg uh, Museum uh, segment was one where they did that. But instead of a chandelier, it was a shade that kept getting pulled up uh, mysteriously. And then they'd go pull the shade down and then they'd get, get pulled up again. So it was the same deal with this, except for it was a chandelier light. Uh, it turned back on, so, uh, you know, they'd go, there. oh, that's weird, you know, whatever, so they go in there, and, uh, they turn it off again, and then they go outside, and yet again, the light turns off right in front of their eyes. This point, it's kind of like, uh, okay, the first time, yeah, I'll give you that, it could be an electrical thing, but the second time, that's a little bizarre, so they went back in there, and the former owners had told Pat, the wife, something that she actually tried, she said, to, like, she's standing at the light at this point to turn it off for the third time, and she says, I don't know who you are or why you're here, but I'm tired and I don't want to play tonight. Can we please play another day? And she turned the light off, and then they walked out, and the light stayed off. They thought, you know, maybe this is an electrical problem, but um, according to the Sitzbergers, the hotel's haunted from the top, from the top to the bottom. Uh, in one of the rooms, I believe, wasn't it room 18 where the guests reported the eerie tapping sound? Room 17. Room 17. Yeah, guests were staying in room 17 one night, and they heard this eerie tapping sound on the window. 
and uh it, it actually was eerie like when you're watching the segment the tapping sound it's like a very uh, aggressive tapping it, it's like someone had yeah just like that basically it, yeah like it's like human hands are doing it it was it was creepy um they also showed another part in the segment although they weren't they weren't uh narrating over it but they showed a scene in the kitchen where the uh, cook was uh in the kitchen and one of the glasses just started floating in midair yeah that was a pretty decent effect too like they probably did with some string or whatever and something but maybe if you could look at it close enough you might be able to see the string i don't know um but uh then there was this uh local high school student who i guess was working at the bar or or I don't know why he's a high school student. He should be working at a bar, but okay. Uh, he was cleaning the bar at 5 a.m. when he looked at the bar and he saw a little kid standing there and spinning a glass on the bar. And I love the way he's describing it. He's like, he's going around and he's spinning the glass on the bar going, shoo, shoo, shoo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's Charlie, an important detail, man. Yeah, as Charlie went to tell him he had to leave, the kid turned around and he had, his face was uh, glowing with this unearthly blue light, and uh, it, it, he looked like he was scarred, and like it looked like something straight out of a horror film. You know, like this is the child, the love child of Freddy Krueger and, and Leatherface. You know, it's just all fucked up in the face, and then and then the guy the guy was so he was terrified, and uh, the kid then jumped, ghost kid just jumped off the bar and disappeared. And then I love how the teenager guy, this high school student, Charlie Varela, he's like, I quit. <laughs> like, I, that was it. Like, I, I quit the job and, and never looked back. And... Yeah, which, you know, isn't the first, again, in this show, isn't the first time that you get, like, former employees on, on there talking about their experiences. And it's usually just maintenance or uh, janitorial type people, and they'll experience something. Quit. Yeah, and they... I quit thing that that you normally don't hear that yeah like yeah yeah uh they actually took a a bunch you saw something crazy like that oh fuck yeah dude yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely i I don't you know they they probably weren't paying him that much either doing the kind of jobs that he was it's like i don't need my eight dollars an hour for this bullshit that they're not although some some uh people out there now might be like yeah man i want to see it you know I almost feel like ghosts don't fuck with people who want to see it. I feel like it's, like, only the people who, like, aren't ready for it that they want to yeah. fuck around with. Same with UFOs, too, to a certain extent. Because, you know, there's all those people who hang out in Roswell, you know, with the T-shirts and the, you know, like, the, the merchandise they're trying to peddle. And they're, like, they'll have these conventions and they're, like, all wanting to see a UFO and they never do. But then someone who's, like, totally disconnected from, like, UFO culture, like, will see one driving down the highway or whatever, like... And so that's... There's probably such a thing as jealous uh, UFO fans, you know, uh, I think there's a special name for them, I don't remember exactly what it was, though. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. That's golden. <laughs> so, um... When this guy, going back to this story, when this guy, Dr. Kenneth Wright, heard about the spirits, he came to investigate, and uh, he wanted to go into room 18, um, and he went into the room with uh, Pat, the wife, who uh, was co-owner of this uh, hotel, and um, he described the room was cold, and in the upper left hand of the corner, corner of the room, there was this whirling, like a white swirl, and to quote him, he said... 
There was this anger and hatred, and instantly I was filled with terror. I was gasping for breath. I've never been that terrified in my life. Then Pat, the woman, walked up to it and said, you can go. You are free to go. <laughs> it was negative. And she goes, it was negative. It was cold. It felt like it was from the past. And that's a weird way to describe an energy yeah. or an entity. It's from the, the way past. they make it look. It looks like something that isn't scary. It looks like, oh, look, it's just a floating ball or whatever of light. Yeah. But if you saw yeah. that in person, though, I mean. Oh, oh yeah, I, I know. I know. But it just it didn't look like your typical sort of evil ghost sort of thing but apparently with this kind of stuff though it's not about just how it looks it's it it, same with the ufo cases it's it's a feeling that that that's it's an unexplainable feeling that you get as well it's like it it, something is being conveyed to you that's reaching your sensory beyond touch feel sight taste smell it's like this overwhelming sense of dread yeah which i think is a little bit more than just panic because Fear. because i've panicked yeah. and i've been fearful before but it, it i've also had really bad nightmares where i felt a, such a deep fear and dread in these nightmares that i've never felt in my waking life yeah that just st- that stuff stays with you more yeah and you know surprise or shock yeah um, like i've flown i hate flying in airplanes and i i'm scared to death the whole time i'm in an airplane but you know it doesn't as soon as I'm done, it's like, yeah, that sucked, but it's not like something that sticks with me. Like when I was a kid and I heard a voice when I was like going to bed one night, which actually happened to me. It's like the only time I've heard a voice. It just like said, what are you doing? Like when I was trying to go to bed, like I was actually saying my prayers and, and I heard that voice out of nowhere and I'm I scared the shit out of me. That's creeping me out. The only time I heard a voice in my whole life. Like, never heard voices, but just that one time I heard that, and it was so... And then, of course, my dad, being the kind of guy he was, I went and told my dad about it, and, you know, my dad was, like, really hardcore into, like, Christianity and stuff back then, and he's like, you should have said, I'm praying, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so corny. It's golden. It is just golden. Like, yeah, that's good, you know. I think the bigger question would have been, why am I hearing a disembodied fucking voice? But yeah, I could have asked him what he was doing, I suppose. Well, that would. What, what if it answered? Yeah, see, uh, yeah, yeah, that, no, that wouldn't have been good. It would not have been kosher for my sanity. Um, so, what do you think you would have said if you answered with that one? You know, what are you doing? I'm praying. Uh, I don't, God, who knows? Oh, my bad, man. I'll come back. I just wanted to hang out or something. But or see, I live in a mobile home, and as we all know, ghosts can't haunt trailers because they have... Oh, yeah, ghosts... or something creepy like this, or, you know, oh, that won't do any good. You're like, oh, now, now I don't have something that's... Now I know that this... Whatever's talking to me is definitely not good. Yeah, I just don't think ghosts can haunt anything with wheels on the bottom of it. <laughs> like, you know, trailers have so wheels. No Christine. So Christine is not plausible to you, a haunted car. No, uh, yeah, no. I, 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 you know, a haunted RV, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think anything with wheels, just for some reason, it loses touch with the spirit world when it's when it's got wheels on it. So if you live in a mobile home, you're safe here in the South. I think you're good. Uh, <laughs> haunted RV. 
<laughs> Sci-Fi Channel needs to make that movie. I'm pretty. I, I don't know, man. You're the VHS. You're the VHS expert, isn't there? Some corny VHS murder or, or horror movie ha- having to do with an R- haunted RV by now? No, there isn't. Oh wow, <laughs> it's an untapped market. I guess so. Uh, all rights so, reserved. Yeah, St. James Hotel. It kind of pretty much ended with that whole thing with the glowing ghost ball. And I love how Patricia's like, you can go now. Like, it's like, what, why? What, what possessed her to say that? I'm just, <laughs> like, I'm proud of her just for saying anything. Cause I wouldn't have been able yeah. to say anything in that, in that moment. Exactly. She's definitely got some balls. Um, um the, the event that happened after that though, uh, was kind of the last thing. Um, Ed, the husband contacted Jackie Littlejohn. What? Uh, Jackie claims to be able to talk to the spirit world, and she's Native American, I'm assuming, although she looks like she might be, like, half white, half Native American. She didn't... She, I mean, she had, like, the headdress. Oh, she's a half-breed. Oh. <laughs> I do not get the reference, but it sounds like some bad 80s song. It's a share song. <laughs> oh, okay, wow. You have an extensive share knowledge, Mike. I'm learning about you every day. That's that's just a lovely thing about this. <laughs> so anyway, this Jackie Littlejohn, Native American lady, apparently, she sensed uh, when she walks into the hotel, she could sense a gunshot. She could see and feel and smell evidence of violence, intense violence. She had a vision of a deadly poker game. She uh, felt like the, the hotel might have been at ex- ex- stake at this poker game or a very large herd of animals. Uh, one of the men in the poker game's ghost haunts the room, uh, room 18. Um, there was a shooting, apparently, between these two men after the game. Apparently, the man who won was the one who was killed, and I guess the guy who lost just out of anger and jealousy shot him. He died of blood poisoning, which is with a long, painful, agonizing death, and all that energy still haunts that room. Jackie even had a name for the man, T.J. Wright, and, uh... They looked up his name in the registry in 1881 and found a T.J. Wright who had spent three nights there or whatever. Um, and pretty much after that, they kind of got a name for that the ghost and a face and all that. And uh, they said, well, room 18's off limits. We're not, we're not, no one's staying in there. We're not doing any construction. That room's basically going to remain a tomb. I mean, they're not, they're not going to fuck with it. That's what he said. He said the guy who owned the hotel, he's like, that's his room. Yeah, right. Which is probably the smart thing to do, whether you believe in ghosts or not. You know, it's like, I don't, I'm not a super religious person, but am I going to go open up a fucking Ouija board and play it? No, I am not. I'm not going to touch a Ouija board. I'm not going to be in a room with people doing a Ouija board. That's so twisted that Milton Bradley, I think, or was it Milton Bradley? Yeah, I believe so. They're all like, oh, Ouija board, that's our game. Dude, you can still go to, like, Target, or, or, like, I don't know about Walmart, but I went to Target the other day, and amongst all the other family board games, like Monopoly and Life, there was the fucking Ouija board, and I'm like, don't they know this is the portal to hell, and they're selling it <laughs> right next to, like, m- like Uncle Moneybags? Like, what the fuck? They're selling it right next to Connect Four. and Yeah, all these, like, wholesome little kid games. Oh, and, and also, uh, for your enjoyment, the portal to hell. <laughs> Just thought you might have some fun with this one. Well, that's kind of what happened in Amityville 3D. They, they used a Ouija board, and it helped open up Port of the Hell. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't heard a lot of good things that are associated with Ouija boards. I mean, even the Ouija board movie was shit. Oh, so. yeah, they did make a movie out of that, didn't they? 
And they're doing a prequel movie that's coming out this year. Oh. Wow, so that means the first one must have made some kind of money. It, yeah, it was it was terrible, but it still made over a hundred million dollars. Damn. Did you do a review of that one? Yeah, I did a rant on that a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that was awful. Teenagers flock to see it, I guess, because it's PG-13, so I guess it enables some teens to get, you know, I don't know, scared. But I was more bored than anything else. Yeah, I guess when you're a teenager, you kind of want to be cool and go, you know, if you're going to go see a movie with your friends, like you're going to want to go see like a horror movie or a scary movie because it's cooler than going to see like, you know, whatever. Pitch Perfect 3. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the St. James Hotel, uh, it's a short segment, but I thought it was fairly memorable. I was kind of surprised I didn't include it on any of the DVDs. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned the DVDs because they, uh, I forget exactly which ghost segment it was, but they had, uh, it might have been the Comedy Store Ghosts or another ghost segment that was on the DVDs and it showed, it talked about, uh, Robert Stack did a little bit bit of exposition before he went right into the episode and he's like, Mm -hmm. Unsolved Mysteries has uh, chronicled uh, many ghost stories over the years and they were showing clips on the DVD and I'm like, okay, seen that one, seen that one, that one's on the DVD, that one's on the DVD and then they showed like two clips from the St. James Hotel and I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, what's that one? You know, that one's not on the DVD. So in a sense, technically, Mike, it was on the DVD collection (laughs) for like two seconds. (laughs) For two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's that's even more baffling to me why it's not on the DVD then. Honestly, I get it. I get why they didn't put it on there. It's short. It's not the most interesting ghost segment in the world. Yeah. I mean, when when you're stacked up against the Black Hope Curse and Tallman oh, House yeah, Ghost, I, I mean, it's like... They could like, have included it on the bonus disc, though. They could have included a lot of shit on the bonus disc. Again, how do you choose, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think the one... Um, I don't know if it was on the... Kelsey I, House, they could have put that one on. Kelsey House is pretty good. I've kind of yet to see a ghost segment that hasn't been on the box set that I'm that I've really been like that one should have been on there. Um, I, I think yeah. as far as the UFOs and ghosts, I was pretty happy. Um, Strange legends, bizarre murders though. There. Oh, bizarre murders! God, they could have shit. They could have done eight, nine, ten more DVDs of those from the segments that I've seen. Some great bizarre murders. Yeah. And speaking of bizarre murders, that leads into the next uh, segment. Ooh, uh, we look have at you, Doctor Segway over here. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you're becoming a pro, Mike. <laughs> That's that would be the Black Dahlia murder. Uh, most people are aware of the name. If you say Black Dahlia murder, uh, first thing that might come to some people's minds is the hardcore band, the Black Dahlia murder. If, if hardcore music is not your cup of tea, I totally understand because I don't like it either. And I don't like the band. But uh, isn't there also a movie? Yeah, there's a 2006 film that came out uh, directed by Brian De Palma, which has Josh Hartnett and Scarlett Johansson in it. Um, it was not very well received by the critics, and I don't think it did very well financially. Um, I haven't really seen it. But, yeah, I haven't heard a lot of good things about it, so I haven't really bothered to see it. <laughs> Uh, but either way, the Black Dahlia yeah. murder is something that is is on the tip of people's tongues when it comes to... Well, yeah, it's been featured in a lot of things. It was featured on, in an episode of America's Most Wanted as well. 
Um, and the location of where she was, where some people think uh, uh, she was murdered, was investigated by ghost hunters. Those fucking hacks. Oh so, my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, talk talk about uh, one that they left off the box, the Ultimate Collection. Uh, why this was not in the Strange Legends, but like huey long was i, I don't yeah. understand and and they, and they had and they had the segment that ties into this on there right the one, yeah like the torso salary that might have so, been that might have been why because maybe but but then again though on on the ufo uh disc they had the roswell area 51 connection yeah. which was a tie-in so it's not like yeah. they were above doing tie-in uh for the disc but they didn't do it on this one, which they, they should have. Um, not saying there's anything wrong with the Huey Long se- segment. It's actually really uh, interesting. But you know, I, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, you got uh, RFK. Huey Long, you're like, huh? Who? Black, right. Black Dahlia. People are like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with the Black Dahlia. So this woman. I ha- thought she was a Black Widow for many years before I did more research on this this particular case. I thought it was like she was the killer. <laughs> Oh and, yeah, and then you know, but no, it's she. She was the victim. I had no she, idea Unsolved Mysteries even did this set. Uh, did this segment until I was able to procure um, some sources of these yeah. episodes. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know that they did this one, and then when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, sweet!" Yeah. Uh, so this woman had a pension for wearing black dresses and black lingerie. In 1947, she became the centerpiece for the most celebrated murder investigations in U.S. history. And that's the phrase they use in the show, celebrated murder investigations. I think the word celebrated and murder investigation was a little bizarre to me, but she must have been a real bitch. No, just joking. Um, God (laughs) God rest in peace. uh, Rest her soul there. Uh, Yeah. So on a cold, crisp morning January uh, in January, um, 22-year-old Elizabeth Short... Uh, was found in a weed-infested lot of the Crenshaw District of Los Angeles. Um, it was a very barbaric slang. Yeah. Black... This passerby who discovered her remains thought it was a discarded mannequin at first because the body had been neatly bisected at the waist. That means cut in half, folks. Yeah. She'd been gutted and drained of all the blood. Holy fuck. Um... The cuts were clean and precise, as if it had been done professionally. Um, one of the investigators goes on to explain further, and he said that she was cut from ear to ear like a grin. The throat had been cut. So like the Joker? Yeah, well, that's what I thought, but I mean... Let's put a smile on his face. <laughs> he's talking ear to ear, because Joker was like cheek to cheek. But this mm-hmm. this is like this is sick. If you, th- I'm glad I don't. I'm glad I can't get a mental picture of what this would even look like. My mind can't like render an image of this and i'm thankful for that um she'd even been mutilated sexually this is the worst case of sex crime in the history of los angeles county uh the case had baffled law officials um and they say that there is now evidence well as of this segment they say there's now evidence to link this case to the to cleveland's torso slayer 
And the Torso Slayer was a dude who evaded a man that Robert Stack, as he says in the segment, came to know very well. Now, I'm just going to bring that back for a second. In this segment, Robert Stack is doing his, you know, know, on-camera little uh, discussion of this, and he goes... um, uh, he actually kind of, because every now and then, you know, for those who don't know, Robert Stack played Elliot Ness in the uh, Untouchables uh, series on TV long, long, long time ago. Uh, but it was he was really um, heralded as uh, doing a really good job of portraying um, Elliot Ness. And uh, Robert Stack is it will not uh, avoid this topic that he, uh, you know, was a part of that show or whatever. And uh, Stack mentions uh, it was a character that he came to know very well. Um you know when he was talking about Ness, which i thought that was cool yeah. they kind of broke that, you know broke that was nice and uh he there was also footage of him in the butcher kingsbury the the torso slayer yeah. uh segment and legendary uh you know the on the mysterious legends set which uh talked about the butcher of kingsbury you know the torso torso slayer of kingsbury run yeah, so Elliot Ness, uh, you know, if he, it, after the Untouchables, he became Cleveland's public safety director from 1935 to 1942, and uh, he had to deal with, uh, f- and from that time, he had to deal with sadistic murders, and um, they now that they look at the uh, the killings in Cleveland from the Torso Slayer, they felt like killed, uh, the butcher of Kingsbury killed at least a dozen people between 1935 to 1938 by hacking the bodies into small pieces. Uh, he also disposed of their heads, many of which were never found. Um, Ness believed he found a man that he thought was a butcher, but this person he he could thinks died a year before admitting himself to the mental hospital. Um, no proof was ever found to connect this man to the Butcher of Kingsbury murders. Um, yeah, the Torso Slayer... I guess the, the Torso Slayer is the same person, or is, is, is there a difference? Well, no, the, there there was a lot of um, linking of the two people together in this in this uh, yeah, segment. Yeah, the Torso Slayer, at least 15 people, all by decapitation. Yeah, first of all, the, the, the modus operandi was the same for both the uh, Black Dahlia murder and the Torso Slayings in Cleveland. This man was precise. He would uh, he would yeah. bisect a lot of the victims, cutting them in half. He'd cut off limbs. He Looks would... like a guy who definitely knew how to operate and knew how to use surgery instruments and it was a very you know meticulous uh surgeon right he was he was very very, surgical like and he was very ocd about cleaning the bodies um in fact uh uh elizabeth short aka the black dahlia uh he had meticulously cleaned this body as well he had washed shampooed her hair he scrubbed her skin so hard with bristles that bristles were found in her skin actually um, so this guy had the same M.O. for both uh, the Cleveland killings and uh, Black Dahlia. It looked like it would have been from the same person. Now, they said yeah. the only difference was the Black Dahlia's head was not uh, decapitated. Um, however, there were some victims in Cleveland whose heads were not decapitated as well. So that mm-hmm. isn't necessar- that doesn't necessarily eliminate and, him. Yeah. And, and Kingsbury, by the way, folks, was this area in Cleveland where, you know, these tramps lived. So it was kind of like a shanty town. It's pretty much what it was. And this killer would go in and he'd prey upon these tramps who lived in the shanty town. The shanty town is an old term for, you know, type. they put up shacks and 
you know, a homeless town sort of do a town where people, you know, homeless people live. And, uh, yeah. So the torso slayer, uh, would pick his victims from there. And then probably because he didn't think anybody would miss them. And, well, uh, they were a lot of prostitutes and, um, targets. Yeah, they were prostitutes, they were vagrants, they were just, you know, society's um, kind of... And this was, a, this was, as you would probably expect, this was this was a crazy uh, case, and it was a case that really caused a lot of controversy and fear in Cleveland, and it also uh, started to begin to hurt uh, Ness's reputation as being the, the guy who was able to you know, keep calm in the city of Cleveland and make sure that, you know, the crime level was low and this is the one killer he couldn't catch, he couldn't stop. And that not only bothered him, but, you know, of course, it bothered other people as well. And eventually, I think he even was considered maybe running for mayor. And at certain, you know, at the height of his time in Cleveland, he would have been a shoe in but... You know, then you have this torso killings and people just, I guess they thought because of one case he can't solve and one person he can't stop, you know, he's only human. You really but felt it, bad for the guy after hearing about it because, yeah, it did. you know, he he was a good cop. He was a really yeah, intelligent he person. Um, he, he developed a system uh, to skirt around getting a warrant to go into people's uh, apartments at the time around this area because he you know Elliot Ness was very old school in his thinking he thought he was going to bust into someone's apartment and there'd be bloody walls and arms and limbs yeah. hanging from the ceiling so he actually paired with the fire department and had and brought a few firemen with him and had mandatory uh, checks of what, what he would call to where he would go into someone's apartment and look, you know, to make sure that all their fire, uh, like the fire escape and, you know, any kind of like thing like that was up to code. And so that allowed him to skirt around getting any warrant to enter somebody's uh, residence uh, through, through, you know, like police means. He was able to use a fire department like that. Yeah. And he never found anything. He never found anything in any of the oh. apartments. And in a final kind of desperate attempt, he uh, burnt down the Kingsbury run, like the shanty town down there. He yeah. ordered all the people out of their little shanties and took them all downtown to book them and to f process them. And they, he burnt the whole place to the ground. And that really yeah. stirred up uh, negative public opinion against them. The, uh, they, the general opinion at the time was he, the, the de these are desperate actions by a desperate man. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he, his brutal, his brute force, untouchables tactics uh, were were uh, not very impressive to the uh, people of Cleveland, and uh, you know, but like you know, like I said earlier, he he was desperate. He wanted to find this guy, and yeah. he thought if he arrested all these vagrants, at least he would get them off the streets for a night, you know, to keep them from getting their heads lobbed off. Yeah, he, he, you know, he you know, and you can think of it. Yeah, they took him away from their homes, so to speak, but. They were in danger anyway, being there. So, you know, he might have saved some of their lives anyway by, you know, getting them away from there. Um, but people didn't want to look at it like that way. They just thought, oh, it's just a census act. You know, there's no need for this. And he's just desperate and whatever. But it is it is pretty tragic because you look at it, you know, he, he put a lot on the line. You know, he, he risked his life to do his job. I mean... Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of mob bosses, a lot of people in the mob, a lot of places had hits on him. 
And this is a man who, you know, managed to survive and then persevere despite that. And, and when he came to Cleveland, you know, he helped lower the crime rate. The crime rate was pretty high and he helped lower it when he came there. So I think it became, what is, was he the, was it the DA or? Uh, public safety director. Public safety director. So he became the public safety director of Cleveland and, and the crime rate, you know, went down. But I guess one, you know, one devastating killer, absolutely. But, you know, so to, to link this to one slip up and, you know, he was vilified. To link this to the Black Dahlia case, uh, the, the murders at Kingsbury Run stopped in 1938. And it was around that time that the police chief got sent a letter uh, from an anonymous person saying that he was moving from Cleveland to sunny California. And that, those were his words, uh, sunny California. And um, it was also around that time that um, the Black Dolly murder occurred and the Cleveland killings stopped. Yeah, um, and the murderer also taunted the police with letters like right. the Zodiac Killer would do. Well, it was um, actually a message was mailed to a local newspaper and it was a package from the killer. It said, here's Dahlia's belongings, letters to follow. And in the package, they found her address book um, but I'm going to back up for a second because um, before all this happened, just a little bit about this uh, Elizabeth Short woman who was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically went to L.A. like most people do to pursue acting and thought she would live the dream and become this uh, very famous movie star. Ho- movie yeah. star. Right. Um, well, <laughs> like most people, she uh, realized that... Uh, fame was very elusive and um she eventually drifted into prostitution and her final days uh her final days alive were shrouded in mystery she always seemed to be on the move she was last seen with a man she called red which was possibly a guy named robert manley but he was he was cleared of all uh, wrongdoing uh, shortly after that and a lot of the guys that she was fucking her tricks as as it were uh they all had airtight alibis as well unfortunately enough for the uh police yeah she got into prostitution and and uh you became probably essentially a call girl yeah uh, you know when things in hollywood didn't work out which actually happens to a lot of people nowadays that's still that's still something that happens to people now in 2016 in in la yeah so this isn't this is still pretty topical when it comes to that sort of thing where it's just a tragic case of you know woman you know with some big you know big dreams and then you know, things don't work out and they got to sell her body in the street in order to, you know, pay the bills. Yeah, which, you know, with with how high the prices are just to live in L.A. And, you know, that's pretty much what you have to do to afford anything out there. Um, the best you can hope for is that you can upgrade to be an escort. <laughs> and, you know, and there are some escorts that just are making bank. Oh, yeah. No, you and, can make a lot of if you have if you have no. uh uh, if you have no self worth, or if you have, if you're just able to uh, compartmentalize, and you're, and you're absolutely gorgeous, that's the thing. Too. True, you got to be uh, just supermodel, stunning in terms of your beauty. Uh, I mean, some people don't get bothered by high end so... escort. A high end escort is they are always really, really beautiful women. That maybe they had plastic surgery to look that way, whatever it was. Um, yeah, these high-end escorts make a lot of money. Yeah. Anyway, I, I saw something about it. I was blown away. It was like, 
shit. Yeah, I could I could go into knowing a friend who did that, and I didn't know she Damn. did that. Yeah, and she made a lot of money from that. But that's a different story. Uh, going back to this though, um, <laughs> uh, in in the the mail that uh, the package that was mailed to a local newspaper, it had her address book in it, uh, which was in reality she had her tricks. Right, her. it was in reality her trick book, and one page was missing, and it was most likely the page that contained the information of her killer. And all of her items were soaked in gasoline as well in, in order to remove the fingerprints. Oh, I didn't... That's interesting. Oh, I didn't uh, remember hearing about that part. That is interesting. Um, this guy who, uh, I guess through my notes here, I just felt it okay to just put down his last name, Lawrence. I guess I'll call him Mr. Lawrence. Uh, he... Uh, <laughs> Oh, oh, Lawrence Schur. Okay, I didn't capitalize Schur, so I thought it said Lawrence Schur began to research, but no, it's Lawrence Schur began to research the case in 89, and uh, he became, and, and that was the guy who really uh, broke the uh, the link between the Torso Slayer. And this isn't the first time Unsolved Mysteries has had, you know, this type of, they talked about this type of link with, uh, the, you know, one criminal with another uh, they, they did one where they tried to link Zodiac with uh, the Unabomber. Which, which is one we so, should probably do in the future. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. Um, I think this one's a little bit more plausible than that one. But, you know, that one has its... There's some things about that that kind of line up. Then there's one they did about the Boston Strangler. About was the Boston Strangler one person or was it a bunch of other people? So... Yeah, it was interesting to see another one of these. It's always interesting to see that. There's theories, you know, from, from people who come in and find, look at the evidence and then try to piece things together. And, and this one seemed fairly plausible because, like we were saying, the the Black Dahlia uh, killer is very uh, surgical, very methodical, very uh, safe, very, you know, uh, particular in the way that he went about hacking her to pieces and uh also was very ocd about it so you can definitely see that there's a connection there and then i think he talks about elliot ness had a there was somebody that he thought was the killer the torso slayer and i don't i don't i don't remember exactly what the guy's name was they never Uh, released a name they never released. Yeah. He never taught. He never. He would never. He took the name to his grave because he knew yeah. he was smart enough to know you can't just go around accusing people without hardcore definitive exactly. evidence. But there were some other people like uh, Francis Sweeney. Uh, you know that there were some other people. What they thought Walter Jr. was a Dr. Walter Bailey. Um, he was considered a suspect in the uh, Torso Slayer segment. He's the older guy who had a degenerative brain disorder, which symptoms include homicidal behavior, um, even in people who were pacifists. And uh, they think that he might have been it, you know, might because he liked clowns. So that explains the Glasgow grin, you know, on, uh, uh, I think, the Black Dahlia. Is that what that's called when it's cut ear to ear? A Glasgow grin? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Glasgow grin. Oh, all right. yeah, it's uh, but it was interesting. The one they talked about, uh, the mystery guy, and what's really stood out to me was that Ness had him and he had him do a lie detector test. He had him had him do it twice, and he failed both times. And Elliot Ness was asking him, you know, did you do this? Did you kill these people? And he's like, you know, 
you know, you've got to prove it first. You know, that, that, that kind of line of time. <laughs> I don't know how much, you know, uh, reality is in that because that might have just been something that's exaggerated for the for the segment. But, yeah. Well, too, um, a member of... Uh, someone approached Elliot Ness and, and said, a member of one of our influential families fits your profile. And that's how he began... Yeah. He got to meet the guy to begin with because he, you know... Ness, I guess, knew somebody who kind of floated around in those circles, and and this guy was a surgeon, I believe. Yeah, and uh, this this guy also. They make this insinuation that maybe you know he he let himself into like Ness. All right, you know I can't arrest you, but you know, uh, I guess he found a way to get him to go into a mental institution. Then the killing stopped, but he did it voluntarily. And because he went to the mental institution voluntarily, he could just leave whenever he wanted to. And so that's what uh, the investigator, uh, you know, sure thinks that's uh, what happened is he voluntarily decided to leave and then uh, went on to kill the Black Dahlia. Who knows how many other people? Well, yeah, because that's what they were saying. They were saying that. Um, he, he checked himself into a mental institu- institution after the encounter with Elliot Ness. And, yeah. and then they were, you know, they were thinking he was in there the whole time. And they're like, well, how could he have killed a black dolly if he checked himself into a mental institution? But the key word there was checked himself. When you yeah. voluntarily check yourself into a mental institution, you are legally free to leave at any time. That's really scary to me. Yeah. So <laughs> he. That's a, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you show like really sociopathic psychopathic tendencies well no i mean are, it makes sense because if, 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 out in society but you know if you check I, yourself into a mental institution it makes sense that that you could you know leave i know, I know but it's terrifying to me because there's there's people who are just should not be a part of society you know because of how crazy they li- really are how legitimately nuts they are and how much of a danger they are to themselves and to the rest of us right so that's the kind of thing where i would i would hope there would be some way now but there's barely there's rarely there's barely any mental institutions to begin with anymore but it would be nice if there i know it's one of those things or you're taking away their rights or whatever but this if this person shows obvious psychopathic tendencies i i would i would really (laughs) I, I think it would be a good suggestion to, to keep them there. Well, I mean, saying. this guy's floating around in these high society type circles. Yeah. This guy knows how to play the game. And I mean, I he think might have gotten let off because he was some like cousin with a politician or something like that. Or, you know, he knew somebody who was, uh, you know, in the upper crust. Right. And uh, that, that, that that's what was so scary about it was that not only is he, he could have been like this notorious serial killer who was just protected um, but also at the same time, you know, he admitted himself in there, so that means he could leave whenever he wanted to, start whatever reign of terror he wanted to again, and then he could just admit himself into the mental institution again, and then, you know, just repeat the cycle over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know until uh, reading this, and I mean, I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek here, but I didn't realize the fucking mental institution was a get-out-of-being-investigated-free get card, you know? Like, oh, he's in the mental institution, can't touch him. Yeah, I mean, surely there's some kind of uh, you know way to to vet these guys to see if you know 
if is this guy really just using the mental institution as some kind of shelter and is he you know really yeah does he really belong there you know like but maybe, but, he, said, maybe he wasn't really legitimately insane he was just uh Oh no! There was a screw. There was a screw loose in this oh, guy's absolutely. head. Absolutely, but I'm just saying. But he was he was not to the point where he couldn't stand trial or he couldn't be able to, you know, that kind of killer, you know, that kind of the serial killer who's sane enough, you know, that they're not completely crazy to right. the point where they don't have any rational thoughts. I think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> And I think he knew what he was doing was wrong. And he liked that. Well, yeah, I mean, this guy liked to taunt, you know, so he was, he... Which is another thing the Zodiac Killer loved to do. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, you know, anybody who, you know, he had that thing missing in his brain that, like, sees human beings as people that you... Yeah, it's a sociopathic tendency. Right, so, I mean, that's... um, uh, Emotion there's no uh empathy the empathy is lost right so um this is the according to unsolved mysteries this is the most prolific mass murderer in u.s history and his identity remains unknown to this day which was true back then and it's still true now which obviously he's dead now oh yeah I mean, which that's one thing you can take comfort in. But, I mean, it just kind of shows you that if you have... Well, not really. I mean, he died probably much like the Zodiac Killer did, unless we're to believe the theory that Unsolved Mysteries... Some of the, the guys who came on Unsolved Mysteries said, you know, that he was the, that he was, uh, the Unabomber. Um, that he did not get... There's no justice got away with no justice for the rich it, yeah <laughs> well no seriously though like that's that's yeah. kind of the message i got for like if you yeah. are powerful enough if you know the right people i mean hell in the news the other day there's this guy this uh cop who was upset over the uh dallas or what uh, the texas shootings or whatever and he was in a, yeah. t- a town like 20 miles away and he got really drunk and uh he he said um he said some racist shit. He's like, while he was drunk, he's like, that coon killed my brothers or whatever. And he got drunk and he started shooting up a church. It wasn't a black church, but it was a church nonetheless. And he got sent to jail. But all they did was re- relieve him of his police uh, of the badge. He didn't he didn't that yeah. like the church and all. They didn't press charges like he yeah. just got off because he's a cop. And if he hadn't been, if he had just been a normal dude or... It's like that brothel, the brothel murders. You know, the one where the guy, you know, the women were murdered at a brothel. And there was this cop who was uh, who worked over there. And he was uh, considered a suspect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the, um, uh, the uh, massage parlor in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small, small town... Where, you know, they let the brothel go on, but they used the brothel as like money, you know, as a money hole for the police department. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was basically uh, fundraising for the police department via women selling their bodies. And as long as the women complied and did what they were told, nothing bad happened. But as soon as they, you know, one officer in particular wanted more services than the other officers and they finally started telling him, no, fuck off. And that's when to. I totally believe he. He, he was involved. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And there was another, the other guy that was involved too. He, he quit. He quit the force and then, yeah, I think there was one of the guys who was went for mayor or something or, 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 or uh, you know, what is it, governor? Like, you know, mayor, mayor of the town. Yeah, it was some, uh, it was some small shithole in the wall of town, which those kind of towns scare me to begin with. <laughs> If you're not if you're not in the good old boy network in those kind of towns, then you better be watching your back because uh, there ain't no protection for you. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's still like yeah, that. So it does seem like yeah, the, there is no justice for the rich. Um, you know, he probably was one of these really. I I can totally see the black doll. The guy I can see the connection between the two, between the Torso Slayer and the Black Dahlia Killer, and I think that if they are one and the same. Um, it makes sense that they did never, they never got caught. Um, it could have been some sheltered son of some rich family who, you know, in order to protect their reputation, uh, you know, they, they did not want their son's activities to be, uh, known. And as fucked up as that is, some people do put their reputation over justice or over, you know, over other things over the, they think they're above the law right well i mean that's like the kennedys like uh the you damn nice to see kick their ass. <laughs> let's kick all their asses you think you're above the law but you ain't above mine roadhouse <laughs> that's actually that's swayze not seagull but well, yeah. whatever <laughs> whatever some similar badassery yeah rip their throats out um, so yeah, that's the Black Dollar case. I mean, it's it's a shame, you know, and it's it's a, a beautiful young woman who got uh, brutally murdered, uh, decapitated. Well, not decapitated, but uh, bisected and all her guts taken out. And, and also uh, the fact she was a prostitute, you know, that probably some people probably look down. You know, like who cares about that case at the time? You know, it's a prostitute. Some people are probably like who, you know. Well, I think that I think the fact that she was attractive kind of made people care yeah. more, and that's a sad yeah. thing about our society. That is sad, yeah. I mean, that's that's really how it is Super now. Personal. I mean, yeah. Anytime you're beautiful or you're really exceptionally good looking, people just care more about you in general, which is like really fuck. It's like that saying goes, "Nobody cares unless you're pretty or you're dead," and yeah. it's true. Yeah. So uh, there was some uh, Dr. George Hodel. I don't know if he was interviewed here. Uh, he's uh, Steve. I think it was George Hodel. He re he's a retired city of Los Angeles homicide detective. Uh, he argued in his 2003 book, Black Dahlia Avenger, that he believed the evidence that the murder of the Black Dahlia was his father, Dr. George Hodel, a Los Angeles physician who was a prime suspect in the infamous murder, although he was not publicly named as such at the time. Hodel believes his father actually tortured, murdered, and dissected Elizabeth in the historic Snowden house. And that's where the Ghost Hunters connection goes in. Those fucks went and investigated. And some other show called Haunted Encounters also, because they believe Elizabeth's spirit is still in the house. That's a theory. It's just like, uh, you know, the uh, again, going back to Huey Long's segment, Carl Weiss, you know, his, his father, uh, you know, uh, or Carl Weiss's son, uh, you know, has spent his whole life trying to clear his father's name as, yeah. you know, he doesn't feel like he, he killed Huey Long. He feels like Huey's Long, Huey Long's bodyguards shot him accidentally. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's just one of those... There's also, yeah, Dr. Walter Bailey, who knew Elizabeth's older sister, Virginia. This theorized that Dr. Bailey's degenerative brain disorder, which symptoms included homicidal ideation behavior, 
uh, and even pacifists. What we do know about Elizabeth is that before her murder, Elizabeth the Black Dahlia, she was short on cash and constantly moving. She may have contacted Dr. Bailey, a surgeon who specialized in liposuction, hysterectomies, and amputations. We also know that Elizabeth wasn't shy about asking for money, and she often tried to gain some through a sympathetic sob story that her husband had died in World War II and she miscarried. While she did have a lover who died at war, she was never pregnant. Walter had a son named Walter Jr. who died in a car accident. It is hypothesized that since he is a doctor, he saw through Elizabeth's lie and acted in a fit of rage. Police and psychologists agree that the murderer must have, to, must have had to sustain his anger for quite some time, meaning that she must have touched on something that really upset him. Coincidentally, Walter Jr.'s birthday is on January 14th, the day before Elizabeth's body was found. It is rumored Walter Jr. liked clowns, which explains the Glasgow grin. It's all rumors, and all these suspects are probably dead now, so there's no way to really, you know, make anything of it. I don't know. We don't know. It's unknown. It's it's a completely mysterious, uh, legendary, you know, murder case. So we don't. We have no idea who exactly killed the Black Dahlia or killed all those uh, uh, tramps and prostitutes in Kingsbury Run. Um, God, can you imagine getting liposuction back in the 40s? Jesus <laughs> yeah. Christ. They literally probably took a scalpel and just cut the fat off your body. Well, this is the best we have, see? <laughs> Jeez. That's, that sounds horrifying. I mean, the infections, good Lord. I mean, liposuction even nowadays got has its complications. Like, yeah. God, getting liposuction in the 40s. That's like the one thing I stuck with when you were talking about that. He's like <laughs> a doctor specialized in liposuction, amputations, and hernias. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about hysterectomy. Oh, hysterectomy. Uh, hysterectomy, which is uh, something to do, I think, with the uh, vagina. Yeah, yeah. Vaginal area. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever said we've ever said vagina on this podcast, so I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to put that out there. And can we say that? <laughs> uh, I think we can. I think the amount of f bombs I've dropped at this point. Um, I, I don't think there's any. Ri- Although it's funny because on iTunes it says our podcast is clean lyrics. It's like clean lyric certified, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> not by a long shot, but okay. Yeah, but it's cleaner than some rap songs. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, I don't know. No one knows who uh, who killed the Black Dahlia. Um, but it is a very fascinating case, and it, and this is a nice little uh, extra thing to add to it. The potential that there's a connection with another unsolved murder. If you'd like to learn more about the Black Dahlia murder, please visit your local library and ask your local librarian. Reading Rainbow. Reading Rainbow. <laughs> All right, so moving on, our next segment is... Uh, I'm glad Mike picked it. I'm very happy to talk about it. Anytime we're talking UFOs, I get excited in many regions of my body. Um, that was disgusting. Uh, of course, we were talking about the Bentwaters UFO over in the U.S. Air Base in Bent... Uh, the Bentwaters Air Base in England. Um, there have been many UFO sightings on or near military bases, but this is the most well-documented one in military history. Do you want to run with this one to begin with, Mike, or would you like me to? You can, you can start. Okay. 
So there are two U.S. military bases in England. There's Bentwaters and there's Woodbridge, okay? And these two uh, bases are essentially diagonal from one another. Um, it's separated by Rendlesham Forest, which if that's not a British-sounding forest name, I don't know what it is. Rendlesham Forest! Okay, I should have learned from doing my YouTube video where I tried British food that I should not try to mock the British accent. They get very pissy about that. Rendlesham. Rendlesham Forest. That You just made thousands of British people angry just then, Mike. <laughs> they do not like their accent being mocked. We don't sound anything like that, governor. Anyway... <laughs> Well, I think they might not mind the one I did because I don't think that's you'd be as surprised. I tried to as yours, I guess. I don't know. I... Whatever, fuck it. Yeah, whatever. It <laughs> so December twenty sixth, a day after Christmas, uh, nineteen eighty, um, around two a.m., Airman First Class John Burroughs and a friend—well, not a friend, but his dude that he worked with—they were on routine oh, patrol sure. on the base perimeter. When they saw lights in Rendlesham Forest, it looked like a rave was going on. They thought perhaps Tiesto was holding a secret show out there. Just kidding. But they did see large lights out in the forest, which would really be... Really, what they said was they thought it was like Christmas Yeah, like a, like a massive Christmas light show or something. Yeah. So he thought to himself, like, who would come out in the middle of a forest outside of an Air Force base and put on a light show? So he notified his superiors and another security patrol unit arrived and they also observed the light. So now we got more witnesses. So it's our story's already getting credibility as far as I'm concerned. I'm already getting very uh, excited in many regions. Um, they went off base to check out the lights, but they left their weapons because they were moving out of American jurisdiction, which I thought was something that was kind of fascinating. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess a, a base is like a little patch of American soil temporarily. And yeah. If you leave, then, yeah, you're not on American soil anymore, so you got to leave your guns because don't be a dick. Um, so they were intrigued. There were aliens that were not friendly and came, you know, out of the spaceship and tried to attack them, then... They would, they would have been helpless. They though. would have shined a flashlight at him and said, hey, this is a mag light. You stay away. It's, I, can, I can hit you with this. <laughs> they were they just, just pour water on them or something. Yeah. Like, like that crappy movie Signs. That was not a crappy movie. Why do people say that movie was crappy? I liked Signs, damn it. Uh, it's, okay, I've seen worse. But, yeah, I saw it in the theater and there were some legitimately scary scenes but i i just i hated the ending which is the ending it's just stupid why why would any intelligent life try to go to a planet that's 80 percent water if that's their weakness i don't know maybe they thought and then their other weakness is wood that's the other what 10 percent i don't know i like i tend to like a lot of movies that critics pan like a lot of people pan the movie hook i fucking love hook i love hook i love hook so it's one of my favorite films i grew up watching that movie so um but yeah signs and you know maybe it'll be better if i watch it again probably not but i i don't know i still like the movie a lot and it still gives me goosebumps no aliens came out it was just you know thankfully because they weren't prepared i don't think anybody would be prepared yeah but they did observe um the animals were being disturbed. Uh, they heard a lot of ruckus. The radio transmissions from Heathrow Tower said that they picked up an object on the radar. Uh, then when they entered the forest, they encountered said object with strobing lights. And of course, it was disc-shaped. Um, they all hit the ground, and the object went up into the trees. Um, a typical early CGI you see in Unsolved Mystery. Yeah, it was bad, but you know... 
I still like it. I don't know. Yeah, I do. It has a certain charm to it. I mean, they didn't have a ton of money. So, you know, they could have done it with a practical model, maybe, which would have been a little bit more preferable. But, you know, even that could have its problems because you got to like that the right way. Otherwise, it looks just about as bad. Right. So, um, then, you know, for typical early 90s CGI, I mean, I've seen worse. Yeah. So it has a certain charm to it. And so they see this spacecraft that floats up into the sky and then they're like, well, what? That was weird. Well, they said, <laughs> too, they, they, they were t- saying that, it, that everything was slowing down. Right. They were like it, it, when it was happening, everything seemed to go slower. Like a time. Well, he said he said it wasn't like a time warp, but he yeah. said everything, everything felt different. Slow, uh, everything was slower to us and everything felt different. Like and then the perception, yeah. the perception of the ground, the perception of the air, the skies, the stars were all different. And that's what I was saying earlier about the uh, ghost in the, uh, the St. James Hotel when we were talking about that orb in that yeah. room. It's not necessarily the sight itself. It's everything else that kind of affects the sensory yeah. perceptions I mean, as well. I think about it. You know, if you witness a UFO or a ghost, like this is, that's something that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life that's something that is going to leave a emotional mark on you that will you'll probably take with you to your to your death you know when, when you finally do pass from this earth so it's a very shocking uh experience that there's no way you can prepare for it right no no there's not there's no way you can prepare for it it just kind of happens and you know you have to deal with what you what you encountered I just realized, well, there's, I got proof now that we're not alone in this universe. <laughs> and then, then you just think more like, what are there, you know, more of these, how many of these are there? Are, you know, are they still watching? Are they going to watch me? Or, you know, there's this, you know, this whole sort of thing where you, you, you'll never, it, your, your bubble or your, your feeling of being safe, you know, on earth, you know, it's just, is broken at that moment. Because you realize that that's not the case. Well, and then you, then you, it's got to beg the question, like you know, like it did with Betty and uh, the other lady with the Texas UFO, where it's like, why don't we know more about this? Yeah, it's like we just want to know what this is. We don't care if it's the little green men or not. We just need some answers because you know, physically, we have ailments from this and. I mean, even though these men didn't suffer any kind of radiation or anything like that, it's still that same kind of, okay, fine, I saw something weird, it can be from outer space, just tell me what the fuck it is so I know. Acknowledge that it at least exists so I don't feel like I lost my mind. Yeah. So, going back to these guys, for more than two hours, the men played an eerie cat and mouse game with the object. They always stayed out in the distance, the object always stayed out in the distance in the horizon. Sometimes it appeared to get closer, but it never got close enough to where they could actually have a close encounter with it. Um, And and then I I, I like this moment when it's a little bit later, maybe soon after that, where they they have this scene where this guy is talking about, you know, with the Sergeant Burroughs and these are the men, you know. You know, oh, there's a, <laughs> there's like, what are you laughing at? There's this other guy, like, like his superior officer, and he's like, oh yeah, these Brassard pearls, these guys think they saw a UFO and chased it around for two hours, you know. Oh and yeah, a- <laughs> yeah. The the acting in uh, that scene was uh, was was left something to be desired. He was just like. <laughs> And the guy's like, what are you laughing at? Or what's so funny? And he's like, no, they're just chasing around UFOs. And the, and then the, the, uh, the, you know, the sergeant guy's like, why isn't this in the blotter? And he goes, 
oh, well, the, 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 the captain didn't want to put it in the blotter. And he's like, well, was it uh, blah, 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 blah. And like, then the guy got all, I don't know. It was, it was, it was real goofy. <laughs> um, it was silly, but it was endearingly silly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, those events that happened with them playing the cat and mouse game with the uh, UFO, uh, they set in motion a chain reaction that resulted in, as I said before, the best documented UFO sighting in military history. Um, these, and in the segment, these guys appeared on camera for the first time, um, ever to talk about what happened, uh, that you know, Unsolved Mysteries got a lot of exclusive interviews with uh, when it came to these kinds of things because you know it's such a reputable show. Um, so five hours after the sighting, John Burroughs re- reported to his shift commander, and the commander said, "Look, you saw something. Heathrow Tower confirmed that you saw something. So let's go out into the woods and see what you saw." Now, John Burroughs, he didn't want there to be anything out there. He wanted to be able to write this all off as something in his head that wasn't real because it it, it scared him. You know, it was the unknown. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't want I and I get that 100 percent. Like, I totally get that feeling of like, please let there not be anything out there to prove that what I saw was real. And now I have to yeah. reckon with this for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. So when they went out there, though, to his chagrin, they did find evidence that there was something out there they rendezvoused with uh, british police officers and they found that there were circular impressions in the earth where the craft appeared to hover previously but apparently it wasn't hovering it was on some kind of a tripod uh the british officers dismissed the circles again hilarious denials here they dismissed the circles as patterns of burrowing forest animals even though the circles <laughs> were the same distance apart forming a perfect equilateral triangle yeah, i love that <laughs> It was just it was just rabbits or or a gopher or something. That's almost as ridiculous as the crop circle segment where one of the suggestions were it was a group of uh, like uh, prairie dogs or meerkats or something that had some kind of a, <laughs> a dance or kind of circular thing they did and that's what caused the crop circle patterns. It's like, dude, <laughs> seriously kill yourself if you believe that. Like, what the fuck? That's hilarious. I'm just imagining prairie dogs doing some. T- <laughs> I like to move it, move it. I like to move it. <laughs> doing some dance in a circle. Disney shit. <laughs> so early the next morning, Colonel Charles Halt, the deputy base commander, um, thought there must be some kind of uh, explanation for what was happening because the UFO news spread like wildfire. And and that's the guy who approached the desk when the laughing goofball numbnuts over there was uh, laugh, you know, bad actor over there was laughing yeah. about everything. Um, uh, so that even... saw a UFO? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So later that evening, uh, weird lights were seen once again. Uh, this time, uh, they ordered large floodlights, also known as lightalls, to be dispatched into the woods. At 9.30 p.m., Colonel Halt got notice that the lightalls were manu- mal- malfunctioning. Sorry, Radios were malfunctioning, and an- the animals were going nuts out in the forest. So he dispatched a second set of lightalls, and he put together a special division to investigate the lights. Uh, it- he had a professional photographer. He had some of his more trusted personnel with them in this team so these are all like solid people they had like a starlight scope to enhance night vision right Uh, they brought a tape recorder a whole team geiger counter to measure radiation yeah like they were they were getting scientific with this shit 
and Robert Ball, who was part of this uh, division, he was being interviewed, and he was talking about how when they found the landing site, branches were broken off clean up to the top of the trees, and uh, the starlight scope, which is basically night vision, it mm. it gave off a dull glow. Um, police lieutenant uh, informed uh, the colonel that there was a strange glowing object 200 meters away, so he turned to look, and they see, uh, they they couldn't explain it. It was like this red orb that was zigzagging between the trees, and it blinked at them. Uh, as it approached them, they just stood there in awe, which is exactly what I would have done. Yeah, uh, Then the object began to move away. Uh, Colonel Halt and his team pursued the object um, when they noticed that it... They noticed a farmhouse up ahead in the like outside of the forest, I guess. And they noticed that uh, this is where it got kind of weird. Like the farmhouse was like glowing red from the inside, like it was on fire. And then the object was like still like in front of the or the object was in front of the farmhouse, which I guess was causing this kind of a reflection. And then the uh, then after at the middle of nowhere, the object broke into five white objects and disappeared. Um, yeah, that was so crazy. Yeah, and then they also had this thing too, where like a, a little beam of light came out of the bottom. Yeah, I'm getting right? I'm getting to that. That's a little bit yeah. further ahead. Um, he was saying that there was a very strange feeling in the air. It made your hair bristle like static. He said he didn't think it was all psychological. He said that he believed that it truly was. There truly was some physiological. Uh, uh, aspects to this as well. Um, they I mean, the way that these lights showed up, it was really, it was honestly, I would honestly would have to say it was beautiful. It was like this sort of in the night sky. One of them kind of looked like a crescent moon. Yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, that that's right. What I'm about to get to. They ventured, yeah. they ventured on towards the coast, and they looked north, thirty degrees off the horizon. And they saw three mm-hmm. objects in the sky. So it's like you're already seeing all this weird shit in the forest. I mean, you're just being bombarded with like. I mean, just seeing the red object that blinked out was like one thing. And yeah. that, that's one thing that for the rest of your life, you'll never know what that is. But then not only or to see that spaceship that was, you know, on the ground and then floated up and flew away. Yeah. That, you know, and now you see this red object. Okay, those two things. Yeah. And then you see like these three objects in the sky and, you know, it's just like, holy shit, we're being invaded. And yeah. they noticed that, would that be terrifying because this isn't just one UFO. It's just like two, three. Now it's like maybe like five. Now I get really, really. I, I would I would have been freaked out before, but now it would be like, holy shit! I want, this is worlds. I want my mommy level freak out. <laughs> this is more of the worlds. Holy shit! Fuck, we're all gonna die. So these uh, three objects that they noticed in this field uh, to the north or whatever, um, they started moving in sharp angular movements like they were executing a search pattern. And these were the crescent moon shaped things that you're talking about. And I'm glad that they showed this because, you know, like I always try to bring up when we talk about UFOs, there are so many different varieties out there. And this is yet just another variety you hear about. These were like crescent shaped, um, like like almost like a half moon type shape. And they were all moving around, shooting down beams of light it looked like a a light show you you know like a laser light show but like in the sky and it wasn't a laser light show it was you know some other type of unearthly light show right so this colonel's skepticism was eroding with each passing moment uh the objects in the sky started sending down beams of light and many other people on the base also reported these beams of light uh going back to old john burroughs there he woke up at 3 3 a.m and he felt a weird feeling 
kind of like these things had returned almost like a premonition so he went down to the base and he reports you know where these light alls were that were malfunctioning he went to that area and um then all of a sudden this blue transparent orb uh, appeared in the sky and broke towards them. They all ducked for cover and the lights all came on and off again when the light passed through them, which is just so fucking weird. So obviously yeah. these things have some kind of a conductive component to them, like an electrical uh, component to them as well, besides mm. just, you know, being these these awestruck, you know, or these awe-inspiring orbs. Um, so as is, is, uh uh, at the same moment, 300 yards away, as that's happening, Colonel Halt's investigation culminated in a close encounter. One of the beams of light came right down yeah. next to them. The object was coming at us at a very high rate of, rate of speed, uh, according to Colonel Halt. One of these beams of light fell very, very close to us, sort of a pencil beam of light. And I remember that image from this segment. It was just like just a little like beam of light. Yeah. That, you know, just... I, what was it doing? I don't know. Was it scanning them? Was it looking for something? I don't know. <laughs> it's crazy that uh, that there was no radio. Like they didn't get any kind of radiation no. from that. No. But maybe it's a, maybe it's different for uh, maybe different UFOs or different aliens use different propulsion techniques. Yeah, I forget where I heard it, but it might have been on coast to coast. I I don't I don't remember where it was. Um, uh, about the coast to coast thing, try to remind me to bring that up uh, again because I have some kind of informa- interesting information I learned about Art Bell. Uh, can, uh, as far as coast to coast AM is concerned, um, uh-huh. th- I-, I heard somewhere that there was uh, there's there's ver- uh, many various types of um, alien beings and UFOs, and some are some are uh, hostile and some are not. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if the, you know that is the case, I wouldn't you know discount that and be like oh that doesn't make any sense no that, that does make sense uh so then you know the, a bunch of witnesses saw this uh military people um they uh, said they drafted colonel holt uh, drafted a memo about the incident the object took off and never came back he submitted th- this memo to the british military authorities who never did anything with it the united states air force would not even acknowledge the episode or or the sighting and then in 1983, a private citizen used the Freedom of Information Act to obtain Holt's memo. But not everybody was convinced by what it reported. James Magaha, or Magaha, whatever the hell, however the hell you say his name, is a noted UFO skeptic and director of two private observatories. This guy was like, I honestly think he's a dumbass. <laughs> And but, and we bring in the skeptic at the end of the set. We need to we need to like put in a noise for whenever there's a skeptic on it, either these ghosts UFO segments. There needs to be a special uncovering unsolved mysteries noise whenever the skeptic <laughs> comes in, like a wah 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 or something like that. I might put that in in post or something. Oh, that would be funny. And, and the, this isn't really how he sounds, but this is how I hear him. He was like, the burden of proof for any event that is extraordinary is upon making the claim, not upon those who look at it from a skeptical perspective. Where's the evidence? Show me the evidence. And that's what science is all about. On the first night at about three o'clock that morning, a bright fireball, which is a very bright meteor, came into the Earth's atmosphere. And this is unquestionably what John Burroughs saw that night. Which is just as douchey to say it's unquestionably. Yeah, exactly. There's no question. No question that's what he saw. It's like, that's ju- you're just as big of a, uh, 
idiot as you're claiming these people to be because you are saying definitively that this is what it is and there's no way it could be this other thing. And you weren't there. You didn't see it. <laughs> I mean, seriously. And they didn't see it just at 3 o'clock in the morning. They saw it at other times beforehand and after 3 o'clock that morning. Then he's, uh, he's talking about... Says not, he says, no, I've seen meteor showers come down before. It wasn't a meteor falling out of the sky. And it went up, not down. Meteors fall from the sky. They don't go back up into the sky. Right. I love that. Yeah. Like, he said it very matter-of-factly, too. Like, uh, meteors? <laughs> meteors don't go back up into the sky. Like they're talking to some idiot. Yeah, exactly. Like they, they, like, they view the guy as a fucking moron, you know, to even suggest that they would be so stupid, you know. So he, he responded with a, a similarly stupid, uh, simple answer, you know. Yeah. It was like Colonel Halt uh, said some a similar thing too. He said it was not a meteor. Meteor's not going to go. A meteor's not going to go up, go back and forth, and maintain the position in sky for. He's not maintain position in the sky for a long period of time. A meteor's not going to send beams of light down. And then here comes the skeptic again. He believes that both men were mistaken, unquestionably. By the way. Uh, I think both of them are being honest as to what their perceptions are, but human perception is very, very easily fooled. And I think when they went out there in the woods, everybody was out there expecting to see a UFO. With a preconceived notion, the way you view things can be greatly influenced. He also believes that the glowing red light Colonel Holt saw that night was just simply a reflection from the revolving beam of a nearby lighthouse. And Colonel Holt doesn't think so. He's like, there are too many unrelated things. If it was just a reflection, how does one explain two different sightings in two different places in the sky? How does one explain the object moving through the forest? How does one explain the sighting in the forest by the three airmen? There are just too many things. I have a lot of unresolved questions, and I'm not sure I'll ever have them answered. I've had people suggest all sorts of things, everything from I've seen the second coming of Christ to the devil's after That's us. That's hilarious. I love I that. I can't explain it. I really can't. I know it was beyond the realm of anything that we experience in ordinary life. I love that too. It was like, I've seen the, the people thought I saw the second coming of Christ to the devil's after us. I mean, they need to give this guy more credit. He's a fucking colonel. He yeah. didn't he didn't get to his position by just working at Walmart for seven years and like, all right, you're a colonel. We're gonna send you to England to a military base. Hope you do good. And, yeah, and a lot of these people who are in this military. You know, they're not dunces. I don't think you can really, you know, be successful in the military nowadays if you aren't at least above average in terms of intelligence. Well, not in the positions that they are in now. Exactly. You know, they probably have really high IQs. I mean, the way they were speaking, you know, they definitely knew what they were talking about. And why would they lie? What do they have to gain by this? Nothing. Yeah, I think they brought in uh, that that skeptic as just kind of an olive branch to the people who are UFO skeptics who might be yeah. watching the show. It's kind of like, okay, here's your skeptic, you know, point of view. So you can't go out and say that we're fanboys for UFOs yeah. or you know, bias or whatever. So because he you know, he was a really weak, uh, you know, skeptic to bring in. I mean, you know, I guess he provided it was the like that guy from Mothman, you know, who was talking or you know who. He wasn't really a skeptic, though. He was just a guy saying the skeptics' theory. Yeah, that it was that it was a crane or something. Yeah, it's just a bird. I wish they had brought uh, it. I wish they had brought in a heavier skeptic for Ghost Boy. God. Yeah, that would have been nice. 
even I started to see through that shit right when I just right when you discovered or told me that uh, the mom had written a fucking book and talked about some car that <laughs> what was that like ghost rider car ghost car or some shit I don't know it was like some car demon car oh my like, god to, yeah. dude one thing I wanted to bring up about this you know in this show you always hear this freedom of information act was invoked freedom of information was act mm-hmm. was invoked i just want to take a moment to, to say what a great act that our government put into place like that that is just fantastic that they did that like well sometimes even if you do get stuff you know there are certain things that you get back that you don't get all of it so it, they're still covering things up, which is kind of further. It's kind of a double edged sword. You know, it's kind of like, oh, cool. You know, it's nice. All right. There's two sides of the coin. But it's better than thing. nothing. You know, I mean, well, it's better than nothing. But, you know, when it comes to cases, you know, where uh, people, you know, they had loved ones that were involved in the CIA or something and got went missing. And then they get the information back and things are just blacked out. Right. And missing, then they didn't really get anything. <laughs> To really help them, you know, uh, uh, make them feel better about what happened. Or, you know, when you get something with a UFO thing and you just get pages are missing or whatever. It's like, okay, yeah, you know, something is better than nothing. But at the same time, it's like, why are you hiding this from us? Like, this is this is just concerning. Another <laughs> thing that it makes me think about is like, it's like, okay, yeah, you and I are interested in UFOs, but we're like babies compared to some of these people who are really out on the front lines. Oh, yeah. Who are really yeah. investigating this stuff because if you listen to the story, okay, this happened in 1980. I mean, this was before the internet, this was before computers. The Freedom of Information Act was invoked in 1983 about this. So there were people out there who were so into UFOs, even back in the 80s, that they, you know, somehow or another found out about this situation that happened in Bentwaters. And like three years later, they had already invoked this Freedom of Information Act to get this letter to figure out what's going on. These these guys are the real, like, rock stars of the uh, UFO investigation front. I mean, we're, we're merely, we're barely reporters on it compared to these yeah. guys. I mean, who are these people? I mean, that that's just incredible to me. Like, you must be, because, I mean, there's, you know, in all, uh, you know, in all honesty, like there's there's UFO cases we could be talking about now that are still happening now, but we're we're focusing more on uh, things that are unsolved mystery related that are relating to the show because we yeah. like the show overall, not just UFOs. But I mean, there are people who are looking into UFOs that I mean they're they're on top of that shit. Um, oh, like Stanton Friedman and people like that. Yeah. Um, I guess around the same time, two other unconfirmed sightings were reported in the vicinity of the Woodbridge Air Base. At least 15 men, all of them U.S. Air Force personnel, witnessed the strange lights and the objects firsthand. The Air Force continues to have no official comment on the entire series of events. What a surprise. So, I totally believe this one. Um, I mean, you got... There's a lot of credible witnesses, and the skeptics' argument is bullshit, so I don't really... Yeah, yeah, there's no credence to that. I mean, I've, I, you know, you, you got military personnel, who, people who the last thing they're going to want to do is, is, is put their integrity on the line and, you know, say say something that's going to make them sound silly or, or not, you know, credible enough to be handling their job. But, I mean, mm-hmm. 
these guys went out there and they reported what they saw and i think that's all they did do i don't think any any one of them ever said it was the little green men the whole time they were being interviewed they just no. kind of reported what they saw and someone on on the comment section on on some mysteries wiki they were they were on the unsolved mysteries uh, official site though actually they were all saying things they said like, oh it's so one guy was like put under hypnosis it said and said that it was uh humans from the future oh wow who time traveled or whatever there's some guy he's saying uh yeah under hypnosis jim pennington said that they were aliens they were human time travelers from the future and I guess a day after this event, the Betty Cash and uh, uh, Landrum UFO incident occurred. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, um, I had said this earlier about the Coast to Coast AM thing, and, and this is just for anybody who, um, you know, keeps up with this stuff, which I do, and, um, you know, I, I just feel like, it's something that I want to put out there. Um, yeah. Art Bell, uh, who hosted Coast to Coast AM, who started it way back in the day, he was uh, kind of the daddy of all that. And uh, I was actually, I, I, I mean, this is going to be a, a duh moment to most people, but he's, you know, he doesn't do Coast to Coast AM anymore. It's uh, George Norrie. Um, Art Bell stopped doing Coast to Coast, I think, in 06 or 07. Mm-hmm. And, um, he actually had to i was reading up on this and he actually moved uh out of his house and he kind of likes he's been out of the public eye um because he was being harassed like at his like his house you know was being harassed he basically it boiled down to um people were trying to shut him up Ooh. yeah he felt <laughs> he felt like people were trying to shut him up and he was saying how he had grievances with premier radio stations and he was saying um you know talking about um i am just ready to tell the real story about my so-called retirement and uh he said uh i have asked premier to stop the saturday broadcast and thus far they have not done so as there is it's their yeah that's my dog it's it's their legal right and he says free speech remains my right and i will soon exercise it but uh yeah um and as as of uh november 1st 2012 art bell on his facebook said i wish my name was no longer associated with what coast has become um so yeah i think that was pretty freaky Hmm. like he was Hmm. they were kind of telling him that uh you know hey shut your mouth like they're kind of they're getting to him. I mean, it's like, Jesus, is there any, can you, I mean, like any, it's like the, which I think my my next segment, I got to talk about the Withville UFOs because I keep bringing it up. Um, You know, it's like the guy said, the radio DJ who uh, starred his own UFO segment in Withville, Kentucky, he's like, don't look up because if you look up and you see something and you tell somebody, your life will never be the same. And it's like, yeah. as soon as you go public with that shit and start talking about kind of like what we're doing now, uh, some shit, some shit, <laughs> shit starts happening apparently. And it's, it's so old though. The cases are so old and we didn't see it ourselves. So yeah, I mean, it's not like we're saying things that we're, we're not rabble rousing in any way. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I just, uh, sent a link to Josh where I guess BBC news had this update on the Rendlesham case in, uh, July, uh, 2015, actually fairly recent. 
Um, uh, Charles Halt came up. He said that he has statements from radar operators that RAF Bentwaters and nearby Waltram Airfield that an unknown object was tracked at the time. Um, he says, I have confirmation that the Bentwaters radar, oper uh, radar operators saw the object go across their 60-mile, 96-kilometer scope in two or three seconds, thousands of miles an hour, and then the, the he came back, back across their scope again, stopped near the water tower, and they watched it and observed it go into the forest where we were. At Wadishram, they picked up what they called a bogey and lost it near the Rendlesham Forest. Whatever was there was clearly under intelligent control. Oh, wow, yeah, they're showing a picture of this guy. Damn, he's aged since that Unsolved Mysteries segment. Yeah. So I thought that was a little interesting sort of extra update to the case. Part of me wonders if this has kind of become his thing now with how he's making money, because I'm yeah. seeing that he's shaking hands with a guy who's, like, got a book called Haunted Skies uh -huh. in this picture, and it's like, hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, think about it. This is after he probably retired as a military, you know, maybe maybe he wanted to get the word out. I don't know necessarily. I find him more credible. Yeah, I mean, he, I'm not saying it's bullshit, but... Book than uh, other people. But yeah, um, just thought that was a little interesting sort of thing. Anyway, uh, I don't really know what else to say. Um, wow, Mike, way to make this awkward. The truth is, the truth is out there, I guess. I hope you uh, all enjoyed uh, listening. And I guess uh, stay tuned for uh, another uh, episode uh, sometime next week. Feel free to let us know about any other segments you would like us to talk about. Hey, Mike, did you see where someone called us funny on, a, on one of the iTunes reviews? Oh, really? Yeah, oh. they said we were funny guys. Oh, <laughs> it is it, as in funny guys, as in good funny? Well, or? the review was a five-star review, so I'm guessing it was a good funny. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Um. <laughs> yeah, my, Mike's a real fart smeller. I mean, fart. I mean, smart fella. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Wait for it. Wait for it. He's a real fart smeller. I mean, smart fella. <laughs> hey yo! Whoa! <laughs> I I don't know what that thing's called, but I picked it up at Adventure Landing with one of my some of my, my tickets, and I love that thing. Uh, maybe that's what you should use for the skeptics when they show up. Yeah, you know what? I like I like the uh, practical, actual effect that I do on the mic instead of adding something in post. You're right. That is that's good. I uh, would use that. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, yeah. Um, All right, ladies and gents, that's a podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, please um, leave any comments anywhere on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, Google Music. We're pretty much everywhere podcasts are found. Please. Uh, comment i see you people listening i see you i see you out there and the only place we're hearing from you on is the youtube but uh comment anywhere because i'm gonna find it eventually if you want to hear any suggestions uh obviously when you guys give your feedback we improve so because a lot of people were complaining about the audio on itunes and i fixed it so um you know this all this podcast is for you guys that's why we, we didn't start this so me and mike can talk about mysterious stuff no. just for you know him and i alone this is for people to listen to so exactly you know give us any kind of suggestions or anything like that it makes us feel good about ourselves and our self-esteem levels whenever you 
tell us that we're great. And whenever you tell us that we suck, then we just assume you're a crazy person and you have no credence. Or, 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 you know, if you're respectful about it, then we just look at it as, okay, there's stuff that we can improve upon. There's stuff that Mike can improve upon. So anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you again for listening, everybody. We, we really do appreciate it. It makes me feel good personally. You know, this is, 